Let's open our Bibles to the final chapter of Acts, Acts 28. We're going to start reading in chapter 28, verse 11. We'll read to the end of this book of the Bible. Uh, I often am able to remember how many chapters there are in the book of Acts because there's a, there's a church planting network called Acts 29. And if you could remember the name of that church planting network, it's Acts 29. That's sort of the reference there is the continuing ministry of the Holy Spirit of Christ today. So if you could remember Acts 29, the name of that church planting network, you could probably remember there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And so that's where we're at today. The conclusion, as I said earlier, we began March 6 of 2022, and it's taken almost a year and a half now. And uh, for those maybe who are interested in a snapshot of what is to come, I'm going to preach uh, five or six messages of lessons learned from my sabbatical, spiritual truths that the Lord imparted to me as I was reading in his word or in, in other um, books. Um, I'm kind of, I've had a lot of fun planning the sermon series. I'll, I'll do a, a sermon from, uh, based on what I've learned from the book The Silver Chair from the Chronicles of Narnia series, and, which I, I reread and our kids enjoyed listening to in the car for a while. Um, other books that I read as well that, that really nourished my soul and have so many scriptural truths in them. Um, each sermon, of course, will be based on the Bible, but um, uh, the Lord taught me in all kinds of different ways, through travel, through reading, through conversations and experiences. So I'm excited to, to begin that, that sermon series next Sunday evening called uh, Pilgrim Lessons, I think is what I'll call it. So today we conclude the book of Acts, and I hope that you have seen Uh, a few themes through this great book of the Bible. Uh, One of the themes through Acts that we'll see again today is that Jesus is faithful to his promises, that his promise to give power to his disciples, that they could be witnesses to the ends of the earth, is being fulfilled. And you can see that in every chapter of the book of Acts, that Jesus gave that promise that we began our service with this evening, that he would send his spirit upon them in power so that they might Tell other people about him, and that's the rest of the book. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. So we've seen that Jesus is faithful, and we've also seen that the devil is working actively against the church in all kinds of ways. At times, the devil is working to divide the church itself, to confuse people who are in churches about what the gospel is and what is important. At times, the devil is working outside the church to persecute believers and cause opposition to the kingdom of God. And we can see that again in in nearly every chapter in the book of Acts as well, where, where Christ is faithful, where the gospel is advancing, where the kingdom of God is increasing, the devil is very active, working against Peter, Stephen, the Apostle Paul, Luke, um, Philip, and on some of these other characters who we've followed along the way. And lastly, we've seen the theme that God will preserve the church against the schemes of the devil. And so we'll see that again today as well, that although uh, the devil is crafty and powerful, that God is on his throne over the church, over the world, and that his plans cannot be ruined by the evil one. So, Today, in the final verses of the book, we'll find more teaching on another theme. That is, the work of the church is quite simple, to proclaim the kingdom of God and life in Jesus' name. 
you know, as pastors, as, as churches, we can get distracted sometimes. Certainly whole congregations, whole denominations getting distracted about what is the goal, the method, the mission of the church. But we'll find it very clearly in our passage today to proclaim the kingdom of God and to proclaim life in the name of Christ. So wherever the Apostle Paul went, that's what he wanted to talk about, Jesus. When he was on trial before Festus and Felix, he wants to talk about Jesus. (laughs) When he is uh, doing all of his travels and talking with, with soldiers and sailors during a shipwreck, he's talking about Jesus. Sometimes he was introducing people to the gospel message for the first time. At other times, he's building up churches that have already been planted by other people. In many cases, he's promoting and defending Christianity among his fellow Jewish people. And that's what we'll find happening in today's story. These people have heard something of the gospel. They know a little bit about Christianity. And the Apostle Paul goes to them to, to teach them more. So that's what's happening in the story as we'll pick it up. Paul has arrived in Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And while he's waiting for the trial, um, he connects with a local gathering of Jewish people. That's the final event in Acts. So we'll read starting at verse 11 of chapter 28. After three months, we set sail in a ship. So they were on Malta, that little island that's still there and still called Malta today. So after three months there, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the, on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when, he, when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined him, they wished to set me at liberty, or sorry, when they examined me, says Paul, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil against you. Here's a verse we'll focus on. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. The sect meaning Christianity, regard this this new theology. Everywhere it's spoken against, say these leaders. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul and had made one statement. 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So instead of doing a a general wrap-up on the book of Acts tonight, we find here a a particular issue in the passage that occurs very regularly in our culture today. And with full disclosure, uh, I leaned very heavily in my preparation for this message on a sermon written about 400 years ago by Matthew Henry, a great, great commentator of the scriptures. I was reading a book where at the, the end of that book, Matthew Henry had us included a sermon on one of the verses in our passage tonight. In verse 22, the Jewish leaders share their perception of the church. It's good to know how these people were thinking of the church. They had already heard stories about Christianity, and they share what they think of the church when they start talking with Paul. So they're interested to learn about Christianity, but they're cautious about its claims, as I think often happens in our culture today. And so they say to Paul, We desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Acts 28, verse 22. So here we have valuable information. Paul certainly would have had valuable information as they describe their initial thoughts about the Christian religion. We're told here that the Jewish population in Rome has heard something about Christianity, and it's not all positive, but they're open and interested, maybe intrigued, you could say, to hear what this is all about. So the Christian faith here is regarded as a sect or kind of an offshoot. Every religion has these. Every religion has sects, groups within it that have a particular thing they focus on. Um, At times, religions have sort of branches that shoot off completely and are different than the core of what that religion is actually meant to be. And it's the case with the Jewish religion. It's the case with Christianity. It's the case with Islam, as you have Sunnis and Shiites and and Sufis and and different types of, of Muslims as well. And so this would have included the Jewish faith certainly in the first century. There were these groups that were sects, that were uh, sort of offshoots of, of Judaism. And the people throughout the Mediterranean world were, were hearing about Christianity because it was growing, it was expanding. And they're wondering about this new branch that had been growing out of the Jewish faith. So the people in Rome report to Paul that Christianity was not really regarded as a very good thing. It is everywhere it is spoken against. And isn't that one of the lessons that we've learned in reading through Acts, of taking time to really work our way through this book of Acts, that uh, in Lystra and Iconium and in Ephesus and in all of these different places, 
Paul experiences great opposition to the preaching of the gospel. So these people are, they want to know more about it, but, but they're suspicious, they're, they're skeptical. So we can ask, does this happen today? Is this how people in our culture might think of Christianity as well? We should ask at times, how are we perceived? What would somebody say in Ripon about Ammon Valley Christian Reformed Church if they knew something, knew someone from our church or had an experience with the ministry of the church or knew someone who used to be a part of our church who maybe didn't have a very good experience? They would maybe speak against what our church stands for or teaches or is all about. It's good for us to know how we are perceived. We should ask how people think of us. We should be interested in that. Maybe not obsessed about it, but at least interested in it in our workplace, in our community, with our neighbors. How do our neighbors think of us when they see the car pulling out of the driveway every Sunday morning and Sunday evening? When they see uh, very clearly that, that we're attending church, when, when somebody would see people perhaps well-dressed, entering a restaurant at about noon on a Sunday, assuming that they've just been at church, how would they perceive that person? Would they perceive that person as a generous person who they would be excited to, to serve? Or would they regard that person as a cheap tipper, a demanding customer? We should be interested in how we are perceived as Christians because people can pick up on the fact that we would claim Christ and we would claim to be a part of God's church. In broader culture, how do people think of Christianity? Uh, You should wonder at times how people are responding to you, how people understand or perceive your ideas, your values, your actions, how you talk, how you carry yourself. As I said, this can become a bit of an unhealthy obsession. Uh, We don't need to be slaves to people's suspicions or speculations about who we are or what we believe, but at the same time, it's good to know. Good information. How do members of other denominations perceive the CRC? How does the average resident of California think of Christianity? How does our governor think of churches like ours? It's good to ask that question and think about it. The question is posed in a different way by people in our culture than it would have been posed by these Jewish leaders to Paul. People today would often say, is it really good to be a Christian? So they're not asking often the truth question as much as the goodness question. Truth question's important. We can get to that, of course. But they're, they're wondering, is it even good to follow this Jesus? Is it good to be a part of a church? Or are you a sect one of those people who is in a sect that is everywhere spoken against. The Roman Jews were wondering, and that's why they were investigating Paul. They set up a meeting to go listen to him. People in our culture are wondering, and whether we like it or not, we are being investigated, just like Paul was. We're being investigated whenever we we go out in public, whenever we come to church, and have neighbors who see us whenever we go to our workplace and we're known as a Christian. So that's especially true when we can say the same thing of the church today that was said about the first century, that everywhere real, authentic Christianity is being spoken against. And we don't need to be uh, conspiracy theorists or, 
or overly pessimistic, but I think that we could probably say that in American culture today, that, that everywhere, not in every single place, in every single home or church, Christianity is being spoken against, but generally, I think the attitude towards a faith like ours, the attitude towards the Bible, the attitude towards the real Jesus is one of suspicion, and often it's a negative perception. So, what is Paul's response to being everywhere spoken against? Uh, we'll, we'll look at four things really quickly that he does. First, he defends the faith and proclaims the gospel. He gets right to work, talking about what Christianity is really all about. Verses, verse 23 there, From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he defends the faith and proclaims the gospel. Paul's work is to convince these Jewish people about Jesus, the Messiah, that he is the one that all of their prophecies have been pointing forward towards, that he is the Son of God. He's convincing them of the gospel message of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God, where Jesus is the king. And so it would seem very clearly from this passage that Paul's response to basically being slandered right before this, everywhere it's spoken against this sect of people. They're being dismissive towards Christianity. His response isn't, get angry. You should talk nicer about me and about Christians. No, he wants to win them over with the word of God. He wants them to to believe in Jesus' name. And his methodology matters a lot. The Roman Jewish people have heard that Christianity is a radical sect that's causing trouble all over the Roman world. And so it it was part of his goal to show that Christianity is very much connected to the Jewish faith. And so that's why it says he expounded from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So their suspicion is that this is a, a, a wild new teaching and he says, no, it's, it's, it's all right there in the Old Testament. And so he, he addresses their particular concerns, but always wants to direct things towards the cross, towards the resurrection, towards the kingdom of God. So Paul comes to them saying, it's right there in the Torah. It's right there in the Jewish scriptures. He sets out to prove that Jesus does not contradict the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets, But Jesus' life and ministry fulfills what the scriptures are pointing forward to. He wisely addresses their concern, and even though he doesn't convince them, it says they all depart from him, um, his methodology is sound. So Paul doesn't just give them a few brief thoughts about it either. Notice the first few words. From morning till evening, he expounded to them the message of Christ. He works hard. He doesn't give up. He doesn't just give them a few ideas to think about. He relentlessly um, presents the gospel to them. And this is the calling of every Christian. From morning until evening, are you trying to convince people about Jesus? From morning until evening, are you showing with your life that Jesus is Lord, that the kingdom of God is wonderful 
It's amazing to live in the kingdom of God. From morning until evening, are you convincing people that it is good to be a Christian? When you're filled with God's Spirit, you will live this way. God gave Paul the ability to teach and preach Christ, and he gives every Christian spiritual gifting that opens up views for people of who Christ is to people around us. So when we're living in the Spirit, as Paul writes in one place, when we walk in step with the Spirit, we're teaching people from morning until evening about what Jesus is like, about why the church is a wonderful um, institution, even organism, a wonderful place to live your life. So the Apostle Paul uh, does this with teaching and preaching, and, and you may do this with hospitality towards your neighbors, inviting them into your home, and your neighbors perhaps noticing that you are not just being polite, but that, that you love them, care about them. And this could be the way that the Lord draws them to himself. So people with the spiritual gift of hospitality and encouragement and uh, sort of a, a winsome way of talking with neighbors, God can use that when you, from morning until evening, live in that way for his glory. Or the consistency of your character at work, as I talked about this morning a little bit in my sermon, that if you're known as somebody who, who lives with integrity, known as someone who is honest, then from morning until evening you are, are testifying to the work of Christ in your own life. That you're not just going to go the way of the world, which leads into despair and foolishness, but you're going to live for Christ. That helps people hear the message of Jesus from you. A, hum- a humble, confident, honest, loving person is an effective witness of Christ. And I, I start with humility um, in that description very intentionally. A humble Christian, a humble person, is an effective witness of Christ. Second thing that we see that, uh, that we need to do in response to an accusation like this is we should guard against actually becoming a sect. <laughs> And so the accusation is there that Christianity is uh, a kind of a rebellious offshoot, a revolutionary faith. And the Apostle Paul says, no, it's not. But we know that in our culture, especially in the United States, uh, we seem to produce all kinds of cults and sects and uh, different groups of people. Um, Partly that's because of the freedom of religion that we have in our nation where people can think what they want and that's a good freedom that we have. But, but with that freedom comes all kinds of wild ideas about who Jesus is and what the Bible really teaches. So we today should be on guard against becoming a sect of isolating ourselves from the Holy Catholic Church. If the church is spoken against, we should assess if the charge is valid. I want to repeat that. I think that Christians at times can have this knee-jerk, defensive reaction. If somebody were to say, that church is no good, we could say, no, you can't talk the way about a church. Well, some churches are no good. (laughs) Some congregations have become sects, have moved into becoming a cult, a false religion. And so we should be on guard asking occasionally the question, are we united to the Holy Catholic Church in faith, in our reliance on the Word of God. Some people speak against the church for good reasons. 
Some people speak against the church for covering up abuse. And if the, the, the Christian reaction is defensiveness to that valid accusation, um, we're damaging the reputation of Christ. But we can say in many cases, that abuse happened and it grieves us and it is evil and it was wrong. And so we could be open as Christians to criticisms where criticism is warranted. It's popular in our culture, again, to to ridicule prosperity gospel preachers. It's very popular for atheists, uh, uh, comedians, and and so forth to, to ridicule false teachers. And, and I think as Christians, sometimes we're sort of caught not knowing what to do in some of those scenarios because they claim to be churches and Christians, and so we might have this gut instinct to defend such a person, but, but I think we could just be honest with some of those skeptics against those people and say, that's not Christianity. That is a sect. That is an offshoot. Even we could use the strong term of a cult. So, some people who claim to be Christians deserve the scorn of the world because, thinking of like prosperity gospel preachers, they are preaching a false gospel. And people can pick up on that, how the gospel, the name of Jesus, the Bible is being used for personal gain in a lot of these large churches. Again, one of the largest exports in American history is the prosperity gospel to Latin America and Africa and Asia and throughout the whole world. And so we can, we can say that is not the real thing. That is not true Christianity, not centered on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, trusting in Jesus, taking up your cross daily and following him. So it doesn't feel very nice to hear these charges against Christianity, but we do need to do the hard work of analyzing the validity of a church, even of our own at times. So we need to guard today against an overly defensive attitude towards people who speak ill of the church. Sometimes we need to listen to the accusation. Sometimes their criticisms are worthy of hearing. And so we should be on guard against losing the gospel and becoming a sect or offshoot of real Christianity. Matthew Henry, in that sermon that I mentioned, gives a really helpful definition of how this can happen in a church. He, He describes how a sect is... Um, developed in, in a really wonderful, uh, I love the Puritans, how they can describe things so powerfully in, in this wonderful way. He wrote, when we profess religion with the conceit of ourselves and a contempt of others and with any worldly design, when we sacrifice the common interests of Christ's kingdom to the particular interests of a party, And in a word, when our profession is tainted with the leaven of the Pharisees, meaning a judgmentalism, legalism, which is both souring and swelling, then it degenerates into a sect. Prophetic words from the 1600s, perfectly describing Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness teaching, Scientology, all of these, uh, the church of, what do they call it, Christian science, um, all of these, these offshoots, these sects, these cults develop in this exact way, a conceit of ourselves, worldly designs, sacrificing the interest of Christ's kingdom for the interest of a narrowly defined group. 
becoming legalistic and judgmental as each of those sects that I just listed certainly would be. Now, here's where things get a little bit tricky. Every church considers itself to be the real thing. Every sectarian pastor thinks he's telling the truth. Maybe, maybe not every single one. Some are legitimately charlatans who just use the Bible for personal gain. But, but I would guess um, the vast majority of people who want to stand in a pulpit would think they're doing a good job and they're, they're teaching what is real and what is good. So how can we ensure that we're on the right track? Again, we get back to Paul's method to proclaim the word of God, to look to God's word to refine us, to, to humbly approach God, to humbly approach his word. I really love what Tim Keller once said about um, a, a true church, a, a true minister. He said, any view of God that does not humble you is leading you in the wrong direction. And, and isn't that what we see among sects and cults, especially among the leaders of those groups? They have a view of God that exalts them over other people, that exalts this church over all other churches, this denomination over all other denominations. But, but we can heed Tim Keller's warning. Any view of God that doesn't humble us wasn't really a view of the real God, of the real Christ at all. And so, we can be like the Apostle Paul teaching the Scriptures, going with the Bible instead of the wisdom or philosophies of man. And in addition to that, we thankfully have creeds and confessions that keep us on the right track. I think it's also important to to regard ourselves as part of the Holy Catholic Church and not the one true, pure faith, which... uh, Theologically conservative congregations like ours can sometimes be tempted to do. We're the real version. That's moving dangerously towards a sectarian, cultish mentality. So, we love our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. We love Methodist brothers and sisters. Pastor Luke down the road doing a nice job in his church referring to John Wesley this morning favorably in my sermon. We love that we have Presbyterian and Lutheran and non-denominational, charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ who don't always see every issue like we do, but we can accept and even celebrate the diversity of the church. And that, that love for the Holy Catholic Church, I think, will also guard us from a sectarian mentality. So we need to, to pay attention to guard against becoming a sect because the world will accuse us of that especially when we hold to countercultural ideas from the Word of God. So, thirdly, we recognize that some people just will not accept the message of the gospel. We can remember that. We don't delight in rejection, but we can accept and recognize not everyone will hear the gospel and jump right on board. So that's what happens in verses 26 through 27. The Apostle Paul indicts his listeners, saying, I came to you people to say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. 
And so Paul says here, he's quoting Isaiah, and this is actually one of the most common quotes in the New Testament of the Old Testament, that these people are, are stubbornly against believing in God, the real God, the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does this happen? Well, the devil's work is to confuse people about who God is. The devil's work is to confuse people in the church about what the church should be. The devil's work is to confuse people outside the church about what the truth is as well. The passage was particularly intended to convict the Jews of their unbelief, these these Jews gathered in Rome. These were people who were recipients of the Scriptures. They had the law of Moses. They had the words of the prophets. They were, were primed to believe. They were set up for spiritual success by God through his covenants and through um, the sign of circumcision, through the teaching of the Scriptures, uh, through each generation for these people. They were members of God's covenant community. They heard the gospel in Jerusalem. They heard the gospel in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then one of the final passages that we have here in Acts says that many who were prepared to receive the gospel with faith did not receive it. And so we shouldn't be surprised when the same happens in our culture as well. If that's the case for Jewish people in the first century, it will also be true of people in our culture where they are surrounded by churches, by Christian symbols, by Christian holidays like Christmas and Good Friday and Easter, surrounded by Christian neighbors and, and having, living in a nation that is so influenced by Christian values like rights and care for the poor. These, these fundamentally Christian ideas, they're so surrounded by, and yet such people could be described in the same way. They, their minds, their hearts have grown dull, their, their ears are closed, their eyes are closed, they're not understanding, they're not turning to the Lord. And so instead of getting frustrated about that, we can just acknowledge that this is going to be the case, perhaps not forever, but for some people, definitely in some seasons of their life. One thing that I hope we all gained from spending so much time in Acts is that Paul and Peter and the first Christian believers were not surprised by rejection. They were not deterred by being rejected in the different places they went. They kept going, knowing In some places we'll be received, warmly welcomed. In other places, they'll be run right out of town. If it's the case for them, why should we be any different? Paul said in verse 28 that the proclamation of the gospel should be expanded out to the Gentiles who will listen. And that doesn't mean every Gentile, of course, will listen, but but Paul is, is sort of putting a cap on his ministry to the Jewish people with a statement like that. He's saying, I've done ministry to my fellow Jewish people in in other passages in the New Testament. He says, I I would give up my own salvation so that they might hear and believe the gospel. He says that in the book of Romans towards the the later chapters. He'd say, "I'd, I'd be cut off for their sake. And so he loves these people, but he's saying, he's saying what he sees. They're not listening. They're rejecting the gospel. So in his sermon on this passage, Matthew Henry Uh, really ingeniously points back to a scene of that viper biting the Apostle Paul's hand. You remember from last week where uh, Paul is helping build a fire and a a viper comes out of the 
the, the wood and, and bites his hand and he, he shakes it off into the fire. Matthew Henry says that the threats of the world against the church are like the attempt of that viper to kill the Apostle Paul. And his response is to, to shake it off into the fire and move on. And so God did not allow Paul to die. Instead, he, he shook the viper away. And as a Christian, we will be bitten by words of people who hate God and who hate us. But we could be like the Apostle Paul to, to shake it off and to go and continue ministering. Matthew Henry such a, a genius commentator of the Scriptures connecting things so wisely in that way. So by God's grace, we can continue. We can continue loving people who are rejecting the gospel and sharing the message with them, as Jesus did. If we're truly in Christ, we will endure, persevere as individuals, persevere as families devoted to the scriptures and to Christ. We'll persevere as a church, believing the truth. We'll persevere as a denomination and as a church in America. Lastly, the lesson that we need to hear is keep going. Keep going. Final verses of Acts. I love this passage. This, occasionally we find these verses that would be a good life verse for us. A good favorite passage of the whole Bible to hold on to. This is, this is a candidate. He, that is Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came, doing what? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. So throughout Paul's missionary journeys, there were a lot of opportunities to give up. A lot of opportunities to give up. He had one example where he's trying to get into Asia to bring the gospel to them. It's just getting stopped. And he even says the Holy Spirit stopped us from entering Asia. He could have given up, gone back to Jerusalem or Antioch or, or some thriving congregation. He kept going. He could have gotten bogged down in debates about circumcision with the Galatian churches. He pointed them back to Jesus and kept going. He could have been obsessed with whether or not people could eat food sacrificed to idols because that was happening in Corinth and it was a big debate there. He taught them about Christ, particularly about the resurrection of Jesus, and he kept going. He could have been paralyzed by bitterness towards Barnabas because they disagreed about a very important matter of how to do ministry. He could have been so frustrated with Barnabas as a result of that episode that he could have given up ministry as some ministers do. He kept going. He kept preaching. He could have stopped preaching Christ after he was stoned and left for dead outside cities like Antioch or Lystra. But he kept going. He didn't give up. He remembered the calling Jesus put on his life and he endured. And so that's our call too, to keep going, not to give up. Paul was shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, beaten up, riots against him, friends deserting him. Each of those is probably more dramatic than almost anything any of us have ever experienced. And he had it all happening to him, and he didn't give up. He didn't stop. So, brothers and sisters, do not give up reading the Bible. Do not give up reading the Bible with your spouse or your family. Do not give up. Do not give up coming to church. Do not give up inviting that person 
to come to church with you, who you love and who needs to hear the gospel. The Lord will be faithful to preserve his church and to expand his kingdom. And so we don't just give up knowing we're fighting a losing battle. We, we don't give up because we know that Christ wins. And we're a part of that victory when we don't give up, when we're faithful. God wants the message of Jesus to be proclaimed in all the earth. That is the theme of Acts. God wants this to happen, and he will make it happen, and his faithful servants can be a part of it. And he is accomplishing it through the church today, just as he has through each generation since the Apostle Paul. He did this through Jesus himself, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He did this through Peter and Paul, and now he does this through you and through me. Now, as a conclusion to the book of Acts, I think it would be good if we fulfill what is promised here as a church. What was promised at the beginning of Acts is that the gospel would spread to the ends of the earth, the message of Jesus and of the kingdom of God. God has fulfilled that promise, and we can prove that God's promises will be fulfilled by believing today and also by reciting the Nicene Creed here in Ripon, California, almost 2,000 years after this creed was written, 1,700 years after. So as we read the creed together, and as you say, I believe, or we believe, think of all that it took for the gospel to get here so that you might believe all of the spiritual activity of God working in ministers, in husbands and wives, in families, in immigrants, in all of these different cultures and communities so that we could be here now saying, we believe. We're going to do this because it will fulfill the, uh, the promise that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, that to the ends of the earth people will believe. And so, would you read these words with me now from the Nicene Creed, professing our faith together? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. 
we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Let's pray.